Welcome to episode 3 of season 5 of Delving Into Dance. This episode is with Wendy Martin, the Artistic Director of Perth Festival. Wendy has had a stellar career programming dance and performance for South Bank Centre and at the Sydney Opera House. In this interview we talk about everything from diversity on our stages to what to expect at the Perth International Arts Festival. I started by asking what was the first dance performance that made Wendy take a note? Oh my god. Um, <laughs> well, I remember when I was about nine. I mean, you know, as a kid, I learned ballet like many of us do. But as a, as a nine year old, um, somebody took me to see, it was a mother of a friend, the Netherlands Dance Theatre in Sydney. And I remember they were dancing in the nude and this was this big thing in the media. But it was, so I, rem- so I remember that because, you know, as a nine-year-old, that was kind of naughty. But I also remember that it was, it was really um, extraordinary. And um, I mean, you know, I had the great privilege when I, when I started working at Sydney Opera House of, of you know, traveling around the world and really getting to know contemporary dance and to experience it very regularly. And then when I was living in London, of course, um, I would, you know, there's so much dance going on there all the time. And I think, you know, Sadler's World uh, is one of the leading dance houses. And so, so I, I, I got to see every single week, you know, in the work that I was presenting at South, South Bank, the work that I was looking for um, when I was at South, South Bank and then having Sadler's Wells around the corner. And um, I suppose one of the great privileges really has been getting to know the, the great contemporary choreographers. So at Sydney Opera House, you know, we brought Akram Khan first in, I think it was 2002, uh, with his early piece called um, Ma. And then, you know, we continued to bring all the really great contemporary dancers and getting to know them and understand their perspective. And I think what really excites me is that choreographers, brilliant choreographers and dancers are as articulate, as, are, are as articulate with bodies as, you know, writers are with words. And for me, that's a really exciting way to receive stories and ideas. What is it that dance can do as an art form that I guess other art forms can't? I, I think it can be an extremely, you know, visceral experience. I remember, for example, when, you know, Hoffesh Schechter exploded on the, on the world stages and I remember the first time I saw one of his pieces and I was actually I was sitting really close to the front I was in Rome and, and it was a sort of it was a visceral experience you know you could feel the energy and you could feel the emotion of the dancers and you know he, he was somebody Hoffa Schechter who who dance with um, uh, Bathsheba in Israel and, you know, was in, inspired, is inspired by that Gaga style that, um, that comes out of Bathsheba. And I think that is a really, uh, the, the, the Gaga style is, is 
very emotionally engaging mm. the way the dancers move and and I and I I feel it just it just touches you it it touches you in a way that words don't always because you you've got your imagination as still as as well as what's in front of you for some people that don't see dance or might be more invested in theatre or other art forms, dance can often, I guess, seem um, inaccessible or uh, quite unknown. What would you say to somebody to, you know, encourage them to go and see dance for the first time or to just experience it? I think people, I, I, I completely understand your question and it often gets asked and I think People can get their head around narratives and the idea of narratives, you know, and, and ballet, you know, traditional ballet has, has a narrative and people go in looking for a very clear story and usually they can see it. And I think people are more um, nervous or approach with more trepidation, something that um, is is more abstract and I think you you really just need to sit in the audience and let it let it um, flow around you and and not be looking for for anything in particular but just to uh, sort of accept the, the beauty you know the, the music the light the, the conversation that's going on between the, the dancers bodies and and light and actually, one of the first times I was like deeply, deeply moved by contemporary dance um, was the British choreographer um, Russell Maliphant, who was on a residency at the performance space in Sydney. It was many, many years ago. And Russell Maliphant always works with the British lighting designer Michael Hulls. And the way that the body interacts with the light, Michael Holtz used very, very dark light and you just often just see the outline and the shapes of the body. But somehow that was so emotionally engaging and it was like a, I guess it was like a live artwork, like a living sculpture. Yeah. But, but very, very... When you came from... South Bank, from Sydney Opera House to the South Bank Centre, you've got this really, I guess, unique perspective of seeing dance in different contexts. And I guess in your role now at Perth Festival, you know, you're thinking about the context in which the work then gets represented. And I'm wondering how does it maybe change messages or meanings that might be behind a work? Yeah, no, that, that's an interesting question. So uh, many years ago, I think it was in 2012, I was um, involved in commissioning a work that the Sydney-based choreographer Martin Delamo made on Paul White. So Paul White, uh, I think, is one of the finest contemporary dancers in the world. He's originally from Brisbane. He lived in Sydney for a long time, and then he moved to Wuppertal, where he was part of the Pina Bausch company. And uh, he's now living in Berlin. And I think Paul, so, so that work that Martin made on him called um, Anatomy of an Afternoon, inspired by Afternoon of the Fawn, um, Paul performed it in Sydney Festival and it was a pretty stunning work. But years later, 
I invited uh, I invited them to do it in London, and Paul, having matured as an artist because you know a number of years had passed since he they first created it, and having danced with the Peter Bausch Company and experienced living in Berlin, I thought when he he performed that work in London, he brought a very new and interesting depth to that work. And I saw it as a completely as a completely new work. And the same with the Oracle. I commissioned uh, so the Oracle was uh, a commission from Meryl Tankard that Paul performed in and uh, that premiered in Spring Dance, I think the first Spring Dance, which was in 2009 at Sydney Opera House. And then I invited him to come and perform for the centenary of the Rite of Spring in, in 2013 in London. And again, there was a depth to the performance that I hadn't seen before. And also, I think bringing a work to, to London, to the centre of the world, and that work being performed, it was actually performed on the evening of the centenary of the Rite of Spring wow. to a full house of 900. Uh, and initially it had been performed in the um, Playhouse, which is about 400 seats in Sydney Opera House. So there were all those incredible resonances going on in May 2013 that, that gave the work uh, a richness and a new focus that wasn't there the first time. Yeah, that's... I brought Lucy Guerin's work, um, uh, oh God, what's it called? Uh, the four guys and she, the two guys, it was... Um, Untrained? Untrained, exactly, the four guys, yeah. And it was it was really interesting to see that um, that work mature. I, I first saw it in uh, in Melbourne, and then um, I brought it to Sydney, and then I invited them to London. And uh, what was interesting with that work was to see how the performers, who were the untrained performers, grew into the work. Um, because, you know, when they started out, I suppose they were naive performers, and they got a lot more savvy and started uh, playing it for laughs. Yeah. Um, in which they got many. So so it was a very interesting journey for those performers and for me to see it from the very, very first performance uh, and then see it a year later in Sydney when they, when they toured it and then to see it a, a couple of years later in London. And that work really evolved. And it, it was a very, it was a very different piece, but it still had the charm of the blokes who were picking up instructions from the, the floor that Lucy had, had given them. So when it comes to programming work for different audiences and different settings, do you have to think about, I guess, what the audience would appreciate or is your role more about making an offer that you hope um, is received well or no I think I think very very much about uh, the audience I mean whenever I'm watching a work I think about um, obviously I have my own responses to it but then I ask myself a series of questions like why why would I present this? How would I talk about it? Who would I be inviting in? And I think 
part of being a, a curator, or, or perhaps the biggest role of being a curator, is to be a storyteller because ultimately you're wanting to invite people in and share something that you think is wonderful with an audience. And so, I mean, in my first year, for example, at Perth, um, people knew that I had a great passion for dance and I wanted to present a range of work that would potentially speak to many different audiences. And because I started in the role quite late, I had to put the program together very quickly. So I thought about how do I, how do I, how do I make the offers into the festival? So, for example, I think Sidi Labi Shakai is one of the really great uh, contemporary choreographers. What I love about his work is how he integrates nearly always live music and, in fact, live singing. And so I thought about the beautiful piece that he created um, with a Corsican uh, a cappella singing group called Arsaleta, and uh, they're polyphonic singers. And so Apocryphu was, was really this beautiful interaction between Labi, who performed um, uh, a Japanese dancer and a Belgian uh, dancer and circus artist, and the seven singers of our Saleta. And it explored ideas about um, the, the different religions and the, and the books from which we, we learn about the, the major faith systems of the world. So there was, there, were, there was a lot going on to talk about, to invite people in. So, for example, if people didn't necessarily love contemporary dance, there are many, many people who love the voice. And, and our Fletcher are one of the great um, vocal ensembles of the world. So that was one way into contemporary dance. And then there's also the idea of what the work was exploring. And I talked a lot when we were selling the show about, about the ideas which in this world we're living in, which is so di divided by... Uh, by, by uh, people trying to create division around different belief systems and different religions. Um, it's a piece that explored all of that and, and ultimately you saw watching the work that, that really it's all same, same, but different. So, and, and, and that seemed to, uh, that seemed to work. Um, I did a, had a, I mean, I presented five dance shows in, in my first uh, festival. One of them was, um, uh, Aurelian Bori's piece Plexus, which he did with uh, the Japanese dancer Kaori Ito. And that was really a portrait. He's done a series of portraits of female dancers from different uh, cultural backgrounds. And, and that was very much a kind of live art installation with electronic music and Kaori was dancing um, uh, amongst uh, five kilometers of elastic bands and so it was a very sort of stunning visual show that was also of interest to people who love circus because because um, Kaori also came from a circus background so there we had the opportunity to talk to an audience that that appreciate um, visual art as well as contemporary dance and you know I noticed when I was in London a lot of a lot of contemporary dance audience crosses over with visual arts and so um, we speak very much to those audiences. And again, you know, this year, for example, we have uh, Vessel, Damien Jallet's Vessel, which is an astonishing piece from 
Japan. We, ha we have another piece, Beyond Time, from Taiwan. And I think in the context of, of Perth, it's important to be um, looking at the work and the stories of the cultures that are closest to where we live. And so I very much tried to focus on, um, on work from the um, Indian Ocean Rim and the, and the Asia Pacific. And then, of course, this year, um, we have Michael Clark's work, um, Simple Rock and Roll Song. And I chose that. I mean, I love Michael's clear and precise choreography. You know, he comes out of a, a background of classical dance, but he's madly passionate about pop music and has been very engaged through the duration of his career with the pop music world and the fashion world. And that manifests itself in his work. And Simple Rock and Roll Song is, de is very much a, a uh, homage to the composers and the musicians that he's loved. And in the case of this work, it's Eric Satie, the, the French composer, but then um, Patti Smith and David Bowie. And the music, the music that, uh, the, the music, Patti Smith's music comes from her, you know, iconic album, Horses. And, um, the, the Bowie music is both from um, Black Star, his final album, and also uh, there's earlier music. It, it ends with the song uh, Aladdin Sane. And I just felt that, that that work would bring, because of the music, because of you know the names Patti Smith and David Bowie, that it would bring audiences that, that don't necessarily um, come to contemporary dance but love the idea of seeing a dance work driven by the music of those two iconic artists. And interestingly, it's looking to me like it's working because um, the sales for that piece, the Michael Clark piece, just, just went off really, really quickly. Yeah, amazing. Hearing your passion to talk about the works and the meanings and um, I guess the messages behind them, it's just phenomenal to think that art and artists can do that and can create work that, you know, changes the way people think and that kind of stuff. And I just think, you know, increasingly the role of the artist is questioned by funding, you know, funding cuts or society more generally. I gave a talk last week and I was, I was talking about that, really, because I think, for me, the two sets of people who really explain the world for us are both a scientist an artist. And nobody would question the value of scientists. But people do question the value of artists. And I think, you know, they help us see and understand and also reimagine the world as a better place. And, um, uh, you know, in your question there, you just, you sort of hinted at the idea that art can change the world. And I think the, for people working in the arts, and certainly for me, it's you wouldn't do what you do unless you believed in the power of it. And, and when you talk about it, it changing the world, I think it's certainly, you, you look at, at, at art and what it does is it, for the audience and for, for many artists, it, it, it changes the way you feel about yourself and, and how you feel about the world. And in experiencing those shifts and changes, it, um, it does create bigger change or creates d desire in people to help see the world or make the world a better place, you know, to, to change things. 
And I think it's absolutely, absolutely invaluable. And I mean, this is not dance, but I'm going to give you a, a classic example of why it's so important. I mean, we, we have, um, actually this is dance in a way. We have, a, for the first 10 days of the festival, we're presenting a work that's called Siren Song. And Siren Song is going to take over the main, I call it the Cathedral of Commerce, the main um, uh, commercial street of, of the city of Perth, St George's Terrace. And there's 400 speakers lined along the terrace. And in the, in the speakers, what you will hear is the voices of, of female singers, thus the title Siren Song. But in addition to that, there is also uh, a performer. That performer just happens to be a helicopter <laughs> that, that does this extraordinary dance across the sky uh, with, with, a, with, a speak, with speakers attached to it that has a single voice. But one of the voices uh, that we've recorded is um, a Persian singer who was born in Iran in 1984 called Tara Tiba. And Tara was born the year before women were banned from from performing in public in Iran. And women are still banned from performing in public in any way in Iran. And so for Tara, uh, you know, she said to me, she talked to me about how much that invitation makes to her, that her voice is going to be um, resounding around the city of Perth for, for a radius of about three kilometers. And that's, you know, when she t talked to me about that, she said, you know, it changes the way how I, how, it changes the way I see myself in the world now, that I am living in a country where I'm getting invitations to have my voice heard. And I think it's so important that, that as, as, you know, artistic leaders, that we make these invitations. I was in Sydney at Sydney Festival last weekend, and I saw so much wonderful work including uh, an astounding dance piece I mentioned Paul White before by Paul White and, and Narelle Benjamin but because the festival is led by Wesley Enoch who is a, an indigenous Australian and deeply committed to hearing uh, to, to offering a platform for the voice of indigenous artists and because he's, he made that commitment when he was up in Queensland uh, running Queensland Theatre Company there's many, many more indigenous voices on on the stages now. One of them was a wonderful dance piece uh, by a Torres Strait Islander dancer, uh, Genoa, and uh, she tell, she's been telling her story of her people for years with her body, and now she's using her voice. She's been empowered by being by by receiving such positive responses from audiences. And thinking of the work you did also in the Unlimited Festival in yeah. profiling, you know, disabled artists and dance artists um, in telling their stories with their bodies in their way. And that profile really took off as well, didn't it? Well, that's right. So, um, so I spent uh, four and a half years in London and the first job that I was asked to do when I arrived at the South Bank Centre was to curate a disability arts festival in parallel with the, with the Paralympics. And, and so, you know, I came in at the very beginning of that process as an outsider, and uh, it was the most brilliant 
professional and personal journey to get to know the people in the world of uh, disability arts. Um, and, you know, we're, t we're talking about ideas before. Disabled artists do what they do because they've got a very powerful uh, set of ideas they want to explore and they want to open audiences' perceptions to what it means to live with disability. And one of the great artists that I met when I was living in the UK was a Scottish choreographer and um, performer, Claire Cunningham. And uh, over the years I was there, I got to know her really well and commissioned work from her. And I felt it was really important when I landed in Perth that I maintained everything I'd learned and discovered working with artists with disability in the UK. And so I made Claire our artist in residence for the 2016 festival. And we presented two works and, and she also did a week long workshop in which artists came from across the country to work with her. That really did, that really did um, shift people's understanding in Perth of what it means to live uh, to have a lived experience of disability because Claire addresses that in her work and you know she became a she, she became the pin-up girl of the festival she's so smart and so charming that you know the media utterly they completely fell in love with her and she was all over the radio and she was all over the tv and she was all over she was the you know page three pin-up girl <laughs> and um by the last week of the festival I was sort of having a farewell lunch with her um, in the final days at a, at a restaurant, at, sitting at a table on the street. And I had to abandon any, any intentions of, of conversation because so many people wanted to stop and talk to her. That's amazing. And, um, yes, we've, we've utterly uh, maintained that commitment this year. Um, we are, we are, um, we've commissioned a new work. Um, and we have a partnership with Dada, which is the amazing disability arts organization based here in Perth. And, you know, if I can walk away from the festival in 2019 when I finish and people's understanding and acceptance of um, the idea of watching performance by people whose bodies are different and whose... Uh, whose perceptions of the world are different. And if they take away something that, that is lasting, I think that's part of the job achieved. And it's just, it's actually creating that space for the stages to reflect the diversity of the communities in which it emerges, I guess. No, that's absolutely, that's, that's absolutely right. And um, I think at the heart of my um, artistic vision for the festival and in fact the work that I've done since, by, since I began working in performing arts is really to um, celebrate diversity and difference. And again, just sort of coming back to um, this year's dance program and uh, seeing a, a work from Taiwan like Beyond Time and seeing a work from Japan um, like uh, Damien Jallet's Vessel. Both of those shows, and also we have the Whirling Dervishes of Damascus. So all three of those shows are coming from very different um, spiritual 
belief system. So in the, in, in the case of um, Beyond Time from Taiwan, they made that work during a 50-day walking meditation. They are Tao Buddhists, and, and they, they made that work out of a walking meditation. Damien Jallet's work, Damien is, is uh, uh, obsessed with the sort of worship of, of mountains that is very uh, essential to Japanese culture and um, uh, shamanistic practices and Shinto Buddhism. And then the whirling dervishes of Damascus, uh, of course, come out of um, the spiritual side of Sufi. The, the, the ancient um, practice and the, the dervishes in their incredible um, practice of whirling are endeavoring, you know, to be closer to a higher spirit. And if you look at what the, the, the performers are doing in uh, Beyond Time, and you're looking at what the dervishes are doing, very much um, it's an endeavor to reach a kind of ecstatic state through mindfulness. So the work is very different, but essentially, although it's coming from different places, they are endeavoring to travel to the same place. And so it's really interesting to see these work, to have the opportunity to see these works side by side and explore a diversity of, of ideas and belief systems. Yes, how beautiful. How beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time out of what's such a busy period for you. I really appreciate it. That's a great pleasure, Andrew. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. You can find a list of episode notes at delvingtodance.com. You'll also find episodes from some of the people mentioned in this one, including Damien Gillet, Meryl Tankard and Lucy Guerin. Until next time, you can find Delving to Dance on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Stay tuned for future episodes with David McAllister, Beck Reed, and a few other surprises coming up for you. Delving into Dance relies on the contribution of listeners. You can leave a contribution at delvingintodance.com. Delving Into Dance acknowledges the support of the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. Until next time, take care.